Amen. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you um, that you came after us, God, that you want to know us, and uh, that you're reaching out to us right now. And God, we just pray that our hearts would be receptive to your word, uh, that it would come across clearly, and our hearts would be vulnerable to what you want to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, good morning, good to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman. I'm the young adult minister here. And if you haven't heard, my family and I, and our, we're on our way to England. So uh, we're going overseas to serve. And I just got to stop and say uh, thank you so, so much, because uh, we've had to raise our own support. And the generosity of this church has been incredible, uh, so incredible that whenever we started this whole thing, some people in our organization told us, you're looking at about a year and a half to raise your support. And uh, y'all managed to do it in under four months. Um, and so, yeah, you can clap about that. God is so good, and he has worked through y'all. And um, yeah, so we were pretty much blown away. Our organization's like, we're gonna have to interview you to figure out what you did. And I was like, well, first thing you gotta do is be a member of First Woodway, you know? Um, because I mean, because honestly, Karen and I, we made a list of churches that we're connected to and we've been a part of through the years because we thought we'll have to reach out to some other ones, but more than 90% of our funds have come from this body of believers. And so that's just incredible. And we, we feel so loved and so supported. And uh, we've got a little bit more information on what we're gonna be doing. Uh, right now, it looks like we're gonna be working with three churches in uh, Birmingham. And I'm gonna be kind of working between three. And so one of them is an established church and they're looking to train up leaders. Uh, they're sending out people all the time. They need someone to help training leaders. So I'm gonna do that. There's also a young church plant started a couple months ago and the pastor's 23. And so they want me to come work alongside him. And then there's an, uh, kind of an elderly congregation that they think needs revitalizing. And I'm gonna come alongside that one as well. So got my work cut out. I'm excited about it. And uh, so glad that y'all are part of the journey. So uh, this whole process though, it has been kind of crazy, uh, especially because things have been happening so quickly, uh, quicker than we had imagined. And I've told several people that, you know, going to serve overseas is like a series of cannonballs. Uh, you don't really have time to like process anything. You just walk up to the edge of the diving board and you see, sell your house. And someone's like, go, you know, like they just, you jump, you know, all right. And then you do a cannonball and they say, now sell all your things. You do that. And it's just one thing after another. And it's, it's hard to process. And I know that from the outside, uh, we probably look very calm, cool, and collected. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're very good at showing that to people. But there's definitely been some moments where it's like, what's going to happen moments? Uh, what's going on here? What if this happens? What if that happens? Um, worry can easily creep into um, these moments. And so today we're going to talk about worry. And uh, the Bible is full of commands to not worry, right? Uh, we have our passage today, do not let your hearts be troubled, but there's do not fear, do not be anxious, do not worry. It's all throughout the Bible over and over. And before we move forward, I just want to clarify what I mean by worry. Um, what I don't mean by worries, I don't mean concern, because it's perfectly okay to be concerned about somebody. I'm concerned about a lot of people that I love right now, and I'm praying for them, but I'm not worried about them. And I think you know the difference. Um, it, it's, not, it's not hurting, it's not grief, it's nothing like that. What, what I mean by worry is worry is to hinge your heart on a circumstance. Worry is to hinge your heart on a circumstance. Uh, so it's something and you just think, if this circumstance goes this way or that way, my heart's gonna go like this. My, my entire existence is gonna go that way or this way. That's worry. Um, 
And so what I mean by heart, I mean like your very being, like in the biblical understanding of heart. Um, I don't mean your job because you very well could lose your job. I don't mean failure because we fail all the time. I don't mean a relationship because relationships break all the time. I'm, I'm not talking about a specific thing. I'm talking about your very existence to worry is to hinge your heart on a circumstance. And just so you know, right now, our culture is just soaked in anxiety. I read a statistic this past week that uh, the age group of 18 to 35 in the United States, uh, 49% express anxiety about important decisions, 49% express uneasiness about their future, and 49% express uh, fear of failure. Um, so that's basically 50% in our nation from 18 to 35 have that anxiety in them. Um, and, and you go further in our younger generation, Gen Z, I, I read something that said that pretty much none of them remember a year before 9-11. And so they have grown up in a sea of change and anxiety. They've never known a time of peace. Uh, we're just charged with it. And one thinker I was reading the other day, he said that our culture now minds reaction out, reactions out of us. And you know what I'm talking about. On news and social media, we have all this change, all this chaos happening, and all they're trying to do is trying to get you to react, trying to get you to panic, to worry. And so this is kind of the culture we're in, and the question is, how should Christians respond, and why does that matter? Uh, you know, I would always take my kids to our life group, and one of the things I notice is whenever I'm playing with my son, or one of my sons, and we're joking around, and I flip him upside down, he cracks up, because I'm his dad, right? And they, they like the other guys in my group, and they'll like be joking around, like with Art, or with Case, or Mark, or Taylor, you know, they're joking around. But if they flip, if Art picks up my kid and flips him upside down, there's a chance he's gonna cry. <laughs> and it's not that he doesn't like Art, he loves Art. I mean, Art's so much fun, right? But he's not, he's not his dad. And there's this trust that I have with my son that whenever I flip him upside down, even though his world turned upside down, he goes, this is my father's hands, I can trust him. And the question I have to ask is, whenever our world has gotten turned upside down, what has the church signaled to people? Have we signaled that we trust our father's hands or have we gotten to a point where we say, he's trustworthy, but up to a point? Because I really do think we've gotten swept up in the anxiety of our age. Um, there's a great book on leadership uh, by a guy named Edwin Friedman. It's called uh, Failure of Nerve. And I'm gonna kind of get into the, the weeds here to explain some of it, but, but basically he builds it off this principle called uh, systems theory. So systems theory, if you don't know, is the idea that a unit of relationships is a system. Our web of relationships is a system. So a husband and a wife, that's a system. A family, that's a system. A church, that's a system. The United States, it's a system. Um, so any huge web of relationships you could say is a system. And anytime you introduce change into a system, it produces anxiety. So you can imagine the kind of anxiety our nation has right now. <laughs> anytime you introduce change, it, it starts to like shoot off anxiety and everyone starts to rub off on one another, crazy anxiety. And the only way that you can combat it is to have someone what, that he would call a non-anxious presence. He says, we need leaders that are a non-anxious presence. And that doesn't mean someone that's just like calm, cool, and collected all the time. It means someone that is connected to the system, but they are not caught up in the emotional processes of the system. That they know who they are. They remain fixed. They know who they are. And, but they engage with the system, but they don't get caught up with it. 
Um, and he says that right now, America, he argues that America is imaginatively gridlocked, that we keep asking the same questions and getting the same answers, and we keep doing it over and over again, and this anxiety is just building, and we need some leaders to step up and be a non-anxious presence. And whenever I read that, I mean, this isn't a Christian book, but whenever I read that, I just think, that's the church. What he is describing, we are uniquely equipped for this. But are we going to do it? Uh, so I want to talk about that, um, about what it looks like uh, to be people that are not troubled in a moment of anxiety. So if you have your Bibles, we're in John 14, verse 1. Um, just to give you the context, they just had the Last Supper, and Jesus told them after this, he said, hey, just so you know, one of you is about to hand me over. One of you is going to betray me. He tells his disciples this. This freaks them out, of course. And then Peter, um, always the passionate one, goes to Jesus and says, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll lay my life down for you. And he says, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And then he says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Wow. What a time to say that, right? Has anyone ever told you whenever you're worried about something, don't worry? This doesn't go great, right? Don't worry, don't stress, don't freak out. It's gonna be fine, it'll be great. And what you think in your head is that you think, if you knew my situation, you wouldn't tell me not to worry, right? Like if you knew everything surrounding it, you wouldn't step up here and say, don't worry, because you don't know my reality. And what I think sometimes we do with God is that we treat God the same way. We read all these things in the Bible about do not worry, do not be anxious, do not fear. And we think, yeah, that's really good theological, spiritual, psychological advice, but it doesn't really pertain to my situation. It, it doesn't really apply to this situation. My reality is a little bit different than the reality presented here. I remember in undergrad, um, I was like a sophomore, and I went to a lecture in the science building on how the universe was formed. I don't know why I went there. It was totally beyond my intellectual capacity, but how the universe was formed, I just spent most of the time being amazed at the pictures of stars while they talked about physics and stuff. But uh, so they were talking through this lecture and at the end of this lecture, uh, the lecturer said, hey, if anyone wants to you know, ask a question, we can do that now. And someone stood up and uh, after a couple of questions of clarification, some people asked some clarifying questions, but one guy stood up and I knew he was a sophomore because he was in my year. And he said, I think you got a concept wrong. And he starts to tell this guy how he misunderstood something. And I don't remember exactly how the lecturer responded. He was very gracious, but he said something along the lines of, um, I actually know a bit about the topic. When I got my doctorate, I wrote my dissertation on it. So <laughs> let me tell you about it and proceeded to educate the guy, right? And I think about how often do we do that with God and reality? That we go, God, you don't know my situation. You, you know a lot about it, but like, but this particular thing, I think you're mistaken on, you can't tell me not to be afraid here. That might've applied there, but not here. Um, let's look at this passage right here. This is Colossians 1.16. I think about this verse all the time. This is about Jesus. It says, for in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So here's the thing that we learned about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just know about reality. 
Everything was created through him and for him, and he holds everything together. Everything. One scholar I read said that he is not only this divine glue that holds all of reality together, but he is the rhyme, rationale, and reason for reality. So you might say, God, you don't know my situation. You don't know it, but what Jesus would say is, actually, I'm the one holding that together. That's how well I know your reality. He knows our reality better than we can fathom. But so often what we want to do is we want to relegate Jesus to a spiritual level. And we say, yeah, but you don't know my boss. Yeah, but you don't know my wife. You don't know this relationship. You don't know this situation. You don't know my finances. It's like, I was there before all things. Everything were created through me and I hold everything together. I know. Dallas Willard argued that, and this is something we talked all the time about in RDS and spiritual formation, is that you can't, you cannot progress in the Christian walk if you don't believe that Jesus holds the keys to reality. If you don't think that Jesus actually knows what's going on, you can't progress. Listen to this. This is what Dallas Willard said. Jesus is not just nice. He is brilliant. He is the smartest man who has ever lived, and he's now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. That's what you have to believe. Do you believe that Jesus always has the best information on everything? On everything, every topic? Because he does. And if we can't get to that place where we believe that at the bedrock of reality, there is a God that we know, that we have a relationship with, and he's holding it all together, you will always worry. But if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then surely we don't have to worry, right? You know, sometimes what happens, sorry about that, sometimes what happens for me, whenever I start to get worried or I get anxious, is I'll tell myself, I'll tell my family, I'll tell other people. It's like, hey, at the end of the day, for worrying about a situation, say, at the end of the day, if that thing happens, do you know what will still be true? I will be with God and God wins. I will be with God and God wins. I will be with the founder and keeper of reality, and guess what? He wins. No matter what happens. And that's a truth that I just, I push into, I live into, and I, I just have to believe that he always has the best information on everything, and especially the things that matter. And then he says right after this, he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. That could be translated, you trust in God, trust also in me. Um, so on one level, what, what he's saying here is that, hey, you trust in God, the God throughout history that you've seen provide and show up time and time and time again. If you can trust him, you can trust me because I'm God. I'm the son of God. I'm fully human. I'm fully God. And you can trust me to show up and provide, right? But here's the thing that I love about this is that Jesus is basically asking them, will you trust me right now in the very worst? Because um, this isn't a passage where Jesus goes, hey, don't worry, nothing bad's going to happen, that's not what he's doing. He just said, hey, uh, I'm going to be betrayed by you, one of you, handed over, and you're going to deny me three times, but don't worry, right? It's not a hypothetical. To them, they've been getting excited about the kingdom advancing, and now it looks like the mission is going to fail. In their eyes, 
Jesus is going to be crucified, and that's the end. That's, that's the end of it. If the king is killed, what's the point? It looks like the mission's failing, and Jesus is saying, hey, even if the mission looks like it's failing, can you still trust me? Even if the very worst comes, can you trust me? And the truth is, for us, as followers of Jesus, we can trust him in the very worst because we believe that he can turn the very worst for the very best. We, that's, how, that's what we believe. Because what happens is that it looked like the whole time, this entire time that he was being dragged through the streets, flogged, crucified, it looked like this is the very worst. But somehow, now we look back and he has turned it to be the very best. It's not that we would celebrate it. It's not that we celebrate problems or concerns or, or hurts or pains, nothing like that. We don't celebrate it, but we believe that even if the very worst does come, that the keeper of reality can turn it for the very best. Listen to this. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul is talking about, the Apostle Paul is talking about the message that we preach and how different it is from the world. He says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing or who are being dethroned. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What he's saying is this. He says, look, the wisdom of God does not look like wisdom to the world. It looks like foolishness. It looks like folly. He says, the strategies of God does not look wise to the world. And he says, and if the rulers knew... That's what he says in that last verse. If the rulers knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified him because whenever they put him up on the cross, they were in effect putting themselves on the cross and putting themselves to death. Now, as the powers, the rulers, and the authorities, and the very worst were put up on the cross, Jesus put them to death through his body. And this is something that we believe is that even if the very worst comes and this, the cross was a curse, he can turn it for a blessing. And so that's why no matter what comes tomorrow, even if my very worst reality comes tomorrow, I believe that he can turn it for the very best. And if you can't believe that, if you can't believe that he keeps reality and you can't believe that he can turn it for the very best, then you cannot walk in obedience, not faithfully. I can't tell you how many times a worry has popped up in my head about England. I love England. But I just think, man, what if this happens? What if that happens? And sometimes even if I entertain the very worst, I have to get to a point where I say, even if that happens, I know the God who holds reality and I know that he could take even that very worst thing and make it for the very best. I'm not saying I have the wisdom to understand it. A lot of times I'm just as clueless as the disciples in this moment when Jesus says, don't be troubled, trust me. That's the kind of faith that we're called to. Now, very briefly to, to wrap up, I want to talk about um, what this looks like in the day-to-day. Because some of us, what we might be hearing is that, okay, so God has the keys to reality. He can turn things. So are you just saying that we should just sit back and just let life happen? No. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, we're not fatalists. We don't believe like, well, it is what it is. I guess it's just what happened, right? That's not how we live. We live actively with faith. I want to read this passage. This is from uh, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, you're probably familiar with it. He basically goes through and talks about how the birds are provided for, you're going to be provided for, the flowers are provided for, you're going to be provided for. 
And he says this at the end, verse 33, uh, 633. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That is probably the most practical advice in the Bible I think I could give you for living without worry. It's that you wake up each day and you seek first the king and his righteousness. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Every day, that's what you seek. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is gonna have its own worries. Right now, there's worries. Right now, there's troubles in front of you and you need to respond to those. Don't worry about tomorrows. Um, This is the difference between fatalism and faith is that um, fatalism, it is what it is, would say, well, I guess today was just born to happen this way, so whatever. And I guess tomorrow will happen that way. Okay, whatever. Um, but faith is you engage with what's been presented to you. Henry Nouwen puts it better than me. Listen to this. This is what he says, uh, the difference between faith and fatalism. He says, rather than displaying passive resignation, so that's fatalism, it is what it is, faith leads us to hopeful willingness A person of faith is willing to let new things happen and shoulder responsibilities that arise from unheard of possibilities. Trust in God allows us to live with active expectation, not cynicism, when we view life as a gift, as something given to us by a loving God and not wrestled by us from an impersonal faith. We remember that at the heart of reality, there it is again, rests the love of God itself. This means that faith creates in us a new willingness to let God's will be done. I love the way that he puts it. He says, faith is that you wake up and you are willing to, by faith, shoulder unheard of possibilities. I can't predict what happens tomorrow. I can't. But whenever I wake up tomorrow and these unheard of possibilities that I couldn't have predicted, I could have worried about it, but I couldn't predict it. When I see them, by faith, I will shoulder these responsibilities and seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You can't control tomorrow, but you can respond to the trouble in your day right now. Anne Lamott uh, wrote a great book on writing called Bird by Bird. And she says a lot of times when people are writing a story, they get overwhelmed by thinking of all the different facets they need to include. And she gives this great advice. She says, if you can't figure out what to do next, um, write in a one-inch frame. You can't see the whole story, but you have this one-inch frame. What can you see of your story right now? Write that. And I think that's really good advice for followers of Jesus that, hey, I can't predict the future. I don't even know if I'm gonna be here tomorrow. So I can't worry about that. I'm not gonna worry about it. But right now I've woken up and I had this one inch frame. I see the troubles of my day. I see the things that have been presented to me and I will seek first the kingdom and his righteousness in that one inch frame, right? With all that I can see, I will pursue it to the best of my ability. Um, Last thing I just kind of want to mention, but, you know, going back to what I talked about at the very beginning about that book on leadership and uh, Edwin Friedman, and he talked about how America right now is an imaginatively gridlocked system, and we need leaders to start changing things. And I thought that the church could do it. One of the things that he said that's really interesting is that he says the only way to get somebody out of an imaginatively gridlocked system is that you have to have a leader, a person, Um, who's willing to risk, this is his words, risk for reality. You have to risk for reality, meaning what the way the world actually is. Not what the way it's presented, not what the way the news and the social media and all this is presenting it, but the way it actually is. 
And he says, and what you have to be willing to do is be dangerous, to adventure, to take risk, to explore. And I was sitting there thinking, that is why a follower of Jesus is uniquely equipped. Because not only do we know reality, the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ, we know reality, but we have an obligation to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We have to risk. We have to. We have to go after everything that's in front of us. We see the trouble and we respond. We don't get caught up in the worries and the anxieties of the age, but we take our one-inch frame and we look at it and we say, I'm going to seek first his kingdom right now. Because he says what everyone else is doing, he says, because worry people, worrying people, anxiety people, what they do is they want to be safe and certain. And so they will remain in their gridlock system. That's what they'll do over and over. They just want to bet on what they think they can control. In reality, they can't control everything. But we know the God who's in control. So out of security, knowing who we are, we can risk everything for the reality that we know that will come to be, which is the kingdom of God. Will we be that kind of people? You see, what I'm betting on here, I, I realize I could have taken this two places. I could have taken it all about our personal anxiety, or I could have taken it about something bigger. And I just believe that God wants us to be a part of something bigger right now. Um, not, that, not that your anxieties don't matter. It says in 1 Peter, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares about those things. But he's calling us into a moment right now. If we have the eyes to see it, that our nation, the world, but where we live right now, our nation is just drenched in anxiety. Will we be the people that rely on the founder and the keeper of reality. We know that he can take the very worst and make it the very best. And today we're going to wake up and we're going to seek his kingdom and the troubles that are in front of us. Would y'all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And God, I know that in this room, there, there are so many people worrying and they're anxious about things. And God, right now, I just want to pray against condemnation. Um, you don't condemn, God. You might convict. Um, you might convict, but you don't condemn. And um, God, I just I ask right now that you would invite them right now, maybe to repent, um, to repent of the way that they've been thinking, the minds that they've been living with, and to seek first your kingdom. I pray that right now people would have troubles that come to mind today and that they would seek first your kingdom. That worries that are tomorrow, they would trust it in your hands, the keeper of reality. So God, we love you. And we ask that right now we would respond and worship, glorifying you, the one who holds everything together. In your name we pray, amen.